The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody and welcome to Dudes of Kung Fu. Man, it's been a minute. How you doing, Alex? Good, good, good. Uh, when was the last time we did a show? It was like back in January. I don't know. Why, why, why are we reminding people, bro? <laughs> let's not remind people it's like it's like when you get into an argument with your wife and you say something fucking stupid like hey you remember the last time i screamed at you like this no why remind that so why remind people that we're fucking idiots so uh well i've actually been uh we i think we've both been busy i've been out of the country for most of these last uh, uh since we had our last show and i think you've also been pretty busy as well um didn't you didn't you just recently have a birthday yes yes i am I just turned 54, and, uh, and uh, you know, it was nice. We had a nice party. Um, of course, my, my, my friends and Kung Fu family traveled in from all over, and we, we, have, we just had a great time. You know, Seth and Chris are probably the two closest friends I have on, on, on this earth, two of the closest friends I have on this earth that live up in the Boston area, and they traveled down. And a buddy of mine who, um, I, this was the first time I've met him though, this guy uh, Naveen, who lives up in uh, Toronto, who I've spoken to on the phone for a while, he's a really smart Kung Fu dude. He's uh, my Kung Fu cousin through the Moyat lineage. He trained with uh, Sunny Tang for 10 years. Oh, nice. And um, he came down and it was just awesome, just talking to him and really smart. He wants to learn more about JKD. So, um, and what happened, uh, foundation of 10 years of Wing Chun it was just you know it was just easy to talk to as far as you know uh, understanding of distance and things to that effect and, right and um, really really phenomenal dude I was so happy he came down and uh, you know of course and he hung out a lot with my Sifu Tom Kagan mm-hmm. you know they had a lot to talk about and of course we have my other buddy here so we, we had a lot of guys here and we had a lot of fun and 
and uh, we even got to jam on the guitars for a little bit. So, because uh, my Sifu uh, Tom, his brother is a phenomenal guitar player. So uh, he put up with Seth and me for a little bit because Seth, Seth and I suck. <laughs> and and uh, we had a good, we just we just really had a great weekend, you know. Um, every 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 year we do this every year for my birthday, and uh, we always invite one or two guys, and um, outside of the of the, of the family that uh that i'm getting to know or one of the guys are getting to know and and you know just you know just to try to grow the group a little bit but very slowly and um and then we focus on something different every year so oh a few years ago it was the jong and then it was the long pole and i think one you know last year may have been footwork and one year was we did a whole weekend on like cheeger and so this this year it was on um, we we did a lot on JKD and a lot on um, Chisau. So Tom really took like Chisau from like the beginning and and really just you know worked you know of course everybody there knows Chisau but really like under, understanding the fundamentals different than. Uh, reinforcing the fundamentals, I should say, right. is, is really beneficial to a lot of people. And that, that's what we worked on, the fundamentals. They worked on the fundamentals of Chisau, and, and we worked on the fundamentals of JKD. And it was, it was just, you know, it's, I, it's been a while since I've actually taught JKD. Mm-hmm. I, I don't teach anymore because I'm a fat fuck. And, but it was great with, um, with Nav because, you know, he, he's just he's a great martial artist, a great guy. He was asking really good questions, and we were hanging out on the back deck. And anybody that's ever trained with me knows, like you know, when when we were hanging out on the back deck, and it's like a nice night out, and and you know, got a lot going on. There's a bunch of cool martial artists there. There's some really good information just fucking floating around. And of course, Seth and Chris are phenomenal JKD guys, so they they're throwing out ideas. It was just fantastic. It was all around just a great fucking weekend. That's fantastic, think, man. I think you were in Austria, right? That's uh, yeah. So I was uh, I was actually in Hong Kong, and then uh, yeah, I had some uh, vacation in, in in Europe and was doing some stuff. So I was keeping keeping quite busy. Um, yeah, I don't know. This year seems to have doubled my workload, and as if I didn't have a heavy workload to begin with. Really, really. Um, which is also part of the reason why it's been harder for us to uh, record these because I just been. Um, really super busy. Um, last night, um, I actually had the chance to see the uh, like a sneak preview of the new Cinemax TV show, The Warrior, which is based on a treatment that Bruce Lee wrote back in the day. Um, actually, for people who uh, you've you've seen that like the Lost interview with Bruce Lee, that one with mm-hmm. Peter Burton, and he actually talks about it in there. It's the show where he goes, The Warrior probably won't happen because like you know he's chinese and people don't want to give it to him uh you know in hollywood and a lot of people thought he was talking about the kung fu series but he was actually talking about this other thing warrior that he had written and it was his own idea of you know kind of doing kung fu in the west because he always wanted to get around the problem of guns and like how it kind of nullifies kung fu right sure he was always like very well aware of that so um uh, he wrote this treatment, which is kind of like a very short synopsis of uh, this outline that he had. 
And uh, Shannon Lee, his daughter, uh, acquired it in around 2000 when she got all the stuff from her mom when she took over for uh, Bruce Lee Enterprises. And it had been an urban myth that Bruce Lee wanted to write this kind of like kung fu western. And then Justin Lin, the guy who did like the Fast and Furious movies, he knew about it and he contacted Shannon and they decided to actually make Bruce Lee's um, idea of having this series which is like a western with kung fu come to reality so it's um, it's done for Cinemax so it's cable which means violence and nudity galore outstanding <laughs> and it's kind of following you know kind of follows a little bit of that Game of Thrones season one like okay gratuitous violence and um, you know nudity all over the place is gonna sell this thing so they showed us the first episode last night and Shannon Lee was there. She introduced it. We watched the episode. Um, I didn't have very high expectations going in, um, so I can say it was definitely better than I thought it was going to be. A lot of really great action, um, and the the sets were amazing. And I know um, uh, I have a friend in Hong Kong. He's an actor. His name is Nick Ford. He was actually on the set of The Warrior, which they shot it in South Africa, and they built an entire set to look like San Francisco Chinatown from the late 1800s. Wow. Like the set, you wouldn't believe it. It's like it looks exactly like the old San Francisco, and it's all surrounded by a green screen, which they like edited in all the mountains and stuff like that. But I mean, really, it was like a lot of money put in. And um, I thought I thought they did a good job. I saw a couple familiar faces, like stunt people I've seen before, and people I know uh, are are in it. So it's really cool to see those guys get work. And after that, they had like a little bit of a Q and A. Uriah Hall was there, the middleweight UFC fighter. Right, right. And uh, he was really cool. I actually got to talk to him afterwards, and he's one of my favorite uh, UFC fighters. He's got a little bit of that Anderson Silva kind of feel to him with his striking, and uh, it was really cool that he was there. And I just went up to him, and you know, we had a, ch a few minutes to chat. And um, he his, he actually lost, I think, his last fight against this new Brazilian guy, and that guy just got popped for PEDs. And he was one of those guys where when I first saw him. You know, like one of these young, like 22 years old, but his like his trapezius muscles have trapezius muscles off of them, you know, right, and sure. you just go, you know, that guy is juicing. Right. And lo and behold, he got caught. So I you know, I went up to Uriah. I'm like, yo, I, I knew that dude was juicing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we all knew it. But there's not much you can do about it unless those guys get popped, you know. So. Right. Um, sure. So sure. It was cool to hang out with him. Of course, Shannon Lee was there and she talked a lot about her her vision of uh, her father's legacy. And that was interesting. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good party. Um, I think the um, if people like Into the Badlands, uh, which just recently uh, it got canceled on AMC. If you like Into the Badlands, I, I I didn't really get into the Badlands too much. I watched a couple episodes. One of my students was in it as a stuntman. Um, I think this is better than Into the Badlands. I mean, I don't know if this is something that's going to last, you know, for season after season. They're they're already finishing season two right now. Because um, that's kind of how they do things in Hollywood. They'll just shoot the first two seasons right away. So you don't really know if it's going to be canceled until after season two these days. And, um, you know, it looks pretty good. I think it's better than Into the Badlands. And it's got a lot more potential. And the fighting is a little bit slicker and cooler. And the, the dialogue's a little, 
You know, it's supposed to be in San Francisco in the 1800s, but everybody's talking like it's New York, Brooklyn last week. So right, it's, like, right. it's one of those, like, it's got a little bit of a steampunk kind of feel to it and uh, lots of martial arts action, lots of blood and gore, and, um, you know, lots of nudity for you pervs out there. So um, all <laughs> pretty good, I suppose, for those who are into that sort of thing. So Yeah, yeah it, sounds, definitely it definitely could that. be worse, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that comes out um, on Cinemax on uh, April 5th. So if you guys have Cinemax, uh, definitely go uh, check that out. Highly recommended. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So how was Hong Kong for you? Anything different? or? Um, yeah, this was kind of the rare um, trip that was not as much business as it usually is. This was actually a family trip because our kids had not been to Hong Kong to see their grandparents for... Uh, for a few years so we kind of brought them along but of course I never go to Hong Kong without it being mostly about business somehow so kind of off tucked away in my own little kung fu world in Hong Kong so this trip was cool for a couple things one um, I picked up those you know on, on the kind of Bruce Lee tip here um, those uh, br- those undershirts that Bruce Lee wore in Big Boss which are very famous they're made by this one company called Lei Gongman and they're this and this company literally just makes this undershirt in long sleeve and short sleeve and they make like a couple other undergarments and that's it they don't make anything else and they've been making the same ones since you know like the 60s or 50s and they're really high quality like when i put the thing on it's like you can sweat in it it kind of wicks sweat away from your body it's like re- i mean it's like a 40 dollar undershirt right but it's really well done and I, I sent an email to some of my students like hey if anybody wants me to pick up like the authentic bruce lee undershirt made by the same company that made it for him back then let me know and then we just got flooded with orders and like oh, I, bet. I ended up bringing like tons of those back so um, that was pretty cool. Um, as always, I hung out with Chan Chi Man, uh, hung out with him and his daughter Judy at their place. And we just sat and talked for like the greater part of like four to six hours. Wow. And, uh, we had some really deep conversations about kind of the current state of Wing Chun um, and as well as some other things. I'm not totally at liberty to like really talk about those things openly right now, but it was one of those moments where it was like a big moment in my life just spending time with him there and, 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 uh, yeah, the things that we talked about are things that I feel that I have to kind of step up my game a little bit in in helping uh, Wing Chun promote a little bit better and and do things for you know the legacy of of this art that I love and and I felt like I walked away from that going like I'm not doing enough I need to do more and so it was really good for me it was very motivational and wow. so that was really fantastic and then for you kung fu movie fans out there I got to hang out with. Shaw Brothers legend Siu Hao. Most of you might recognize his name as Xiao Ho, uh, the little monkey. He's uh, the guy who was in Mad Monkey Kung Fu. He also was in 36 Chambers. He was one of Lao Kar Leung's stunt guys. He's in tons and tons of movies, Legendary Weapons of China, all the, all the ones that were basically not the Chang Che uh, Shaw Brothers films. And one of my favorite actors growing up, and I got to go have lunch with him, uh, and it was mind-blowing. And when I saw him at the MTR, the MTR is the Hong Kong version of the subway. Uh, when I met him at the uh, MTR station with a friend of mine, uh, he, he looks at us and he says in Cantonese, Oh, one of my friends is going to meet us here. He used to be on Bruce Lee's stunt team. And it was just kind of like, oh, um, well, okay. <laughs> like, I guess he can hang out with us. I guess that's sure. fine, right? And uh, so we walk into this mall and we go to have dim sum and like walking down the hall, 
uh, was this old veteran stuntman who had been in many Shaw Brothers films and many uh, Golden Harvest films named uh, uh, Chen Wing Han. And he was also in Enter the Dragon. And he, I saw wow. him, and I immediately recognized him. He was one of the, he was one of the guys in the yellow um, geese. Like he was one of the, you know, like yeah, they, sure. They had like the white geese, and then like the yellow gee dudes were like the tournament guys. He was one of like those guys. And uh, of course, he had done many other films as a stuntman. And I saw him, and like, there's like you know, Siu Hao from Mad Monkey Kung Fu, and like Thirty Six Chambers, and like there's this stuntman who like you know was in a Bruce Lee film, and then. We, you know, we sit down and everyone's talking and then like, you know, Zhang Wing Han is like an older guy, but he pulls out his phone and he starts showing me all these photos of him with Bruce Lee and Bruce Lee like flashing kicks on him. And then that's so cool. And he was in Prodigal Son, which is another movie about Wing Chun. He was like, did all these things. And then just to hear the stories um, was really, really incredible. Um, uh, so we went there with um, my friend Bay Logan, who's writing a new book about Lao Kaleng. Lau Ka Leung's famous, iconic Hong Kong director. And uh, he passed away a few years ago. And Bay is basically interviewing everybody who ever worked with him and putting together this guy's memoirs. So uh, really amazing. So that was my Hong Kong trip, man. And, and uh, a lot more uh, uh, to share about that. But, uh, you know, I could go on and on about that. Maybe next time I come over to your place, I'll, I'll give you some <laughs> more of those stories. But it was really, uh, really fantastic. Really, That's really cool. I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my son's wedding. That's right, that's right. Yeah, Carol is like scrambling her brains about the wedding present and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, yeah, so your your son John is getting married. This is a quite uh, quite an event in your life. What does it feel like now, man? It's 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 an odd feeling. Yeah. Um, for when your son moves out, it it's odd. You know, I mean, the girl he's married. He got married at City Hall last week, two weeks ago. And we're having the party in a couple of weeks. And, you know, so he's married and he's out living on his own with his wife, now wife. And it's just an odd feeling. It's, you know, I guess, you you know, you just never think of your your kid as that grown up. And, right. I'm, you know, and it's just, it's just weird. I mean, and he's a good kid and he married a great girl and we're really happy. And, you know, and all that. But it's just, yeah, it, it is, be, it is odd. It must be surreal, man. Absolutely. Right. It is. It's just, uh, and you know, of course, he's here all the time, and we actually see more of him now than we did when he lived here. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. And also, yeah, I, I, I can kind of understand it. And usually, like once you get married off or you start doing your own thing, like you make time to see your parents, and also that time is more meaningful. Like when you're just at home, you go up to your room, you don't really. That's like exactly right. Yeah. He yeah. was always upstairs in his room doing something. Yeah. So we never saw him. Right. And now he comes over and, like, him and his wife come here and they'll, they sit and visit with us for hours. Right, right, right. You right. know, and then they go shopping in my refrigerator before they leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> for me, back in the day, like, when my parents still lived closer to the city, like, the big thing for me was bringing my laundry over. Because, as you know, like, if you live in New York... It, 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 it's like finding a building that has a, a washing machine in there like is, is like you're hitting the lottery, right? So you always have to send your clothes out to like a laundromat or something. Or and it's so expensive. It is. It's ridiculous. So like, you know, I would like go out to see my parents with like all my laundry, just wash it over there and bring it back. So. Well, him and, that's why him and his wife come over once a week. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And they do the laundry, you know, and it's uh, 
It's because it's so much money to do laundry here in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for our listeners who don't live in New York City, that you know, like pretty much everywhere, you have a washing machine. If not in your in your apartment or your house, you have it in the building that you live in. But in New York, it's like maybe in the new fancy buildings that you can't afford. But otherwise, it's kind of uh, it's kind of like the big deal over here. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Alex, this is not. It's kind of related, just because it's New York, New York centric, but. Do you have the the Citizens app? I do have the Citizen app, and I saw that you had posted something. Oh, you, did, did you see what I posted? Yeah, something that's about a, a guy that's... got robbed by a security guard. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a New York story right there. Man robbed by a security guard. I thought that was the best fucking New York story I've heard in a long time. Yeah, I, I don't know if the Citizen app is like just a New York thing or if that's like for all major I cities. Think it's, I, I think only New York and, and, and L.A. are at this point. Got it. So anyway, for those of you who don't know, like the Citizen app is basically an app that I guess it's tied in with like when people call the police so you know where there's crime going on. And then if you're on the app, you can also like upload live photos if you happen to be at the scene. And like I got this app not because I'm paranoid about crime, but like I have two kids. So I want to know like if something is going on because New York is the kind of place like something can happen very quickly. And I just want to know like – is something going on near where my kids are or something like that. But the double-edged sword of having that is that you find out all sorts of crazy stuff that goes exactly on in the right. city on a regular basis. So I'll get like and, – and it's based on GPS. So like when I'm at my school in Midtown, it'll like send me the stuff that's going on like right near my school. And then when I'm like where my house is in Queens, it'll send me like the stuff over there. So you realize like, oh – doesn't matter where in New York you are, there is crazy stuff going on. Stabbings and shootings and people oh, yeah. getting run over by cars and like, it's so crazy. Fires and like accidents and it's all the time. And it doesn't yeah. matter where you are. Yeah, it's kinda of crazy. Kinda of crazy. So Yeah, well so and the other thing is my my, my now daughter in law, who by the way, my daughter in law is from Norway, and her family's coming from Norway for the wedding. Oh, jeez! And my son's got to work, so she's going to be taking her family to New York, to the city. Oi, oi, oi! We're all a little nervous about this yeah, one. Yeah, New York is not a starter city to go like <laughs> check out unless you grew up in it and then you kind of know what's up. And and she's from like. The sticks of Norway. Like, yeah. Well, it wouldn't even ma- matter if she was from Oslo. You can't right. compare like Oslo to New York to the, the, the I don't know, to <laughs> the mo- biggest outskirts of anywhere in the city. It's not even the same. So we're we're a little nervous for her with that, but uh. Well, get, well, g- give her my address. I'm right in Midtown, so if anything happens in Midtown, she's got a safe house. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I will. I will do you that. Come to City Wing Chun, right? There you go. <laughs> Bunch yeah. of kung fu guys can rescue her. That's right. That's right. And hey, did you uh, did you see what I posted? My latest, uh, the latest collector's item that I acquired. That's freaking awesome! What you did. That's really tell tell, tell the folks about it. So uh, I recently, like last week, acquired an original Gu Sung wooden dummy. Now, for people who don't know, Gu Sung was one of Grandmaster Yip Man's students. And he was also the guy who made the wooden dummies for Yip Man. And he essentially made the wooden dummies for all the guys in Hong Kong. So the wooden dummy that Gu Sang made was 
the one that was based off Grandmaster Yip Man's design. Because, uh, of course, when Grandmaster Yip Man came to Hong Kong, he didn't have a wooden dummy with him, right? Because he just came with the shirt on his back. And when he started teaching Wing Chun, he didn't even have a wooden dummy, uh, I think, even maybe for the first couple of years. Did you ever hear a story? I don't know if Moyat, I mean, uh, Moyat, of course, learned later when there already would have been a dummy. But maybe he also knew, like, some of the early period students, they didn't have a wooden dummy, so they had to do the form in the air or they even had to like practice with each other like kind of mimicking the wooden <laughs> dummy and like kind of do it like i heard some stories about the very early period students but i don't know if that's actually true or not but uh i, I heard something about that i've heard stories of like guys you know one one guy standing there with his arms crossed in front of him yes to yes. To, to to replicate the jong arms right right you know, I, I don't know. I, I'll ask my Sifu about that if, if Moyad ever spoke about yeah, it. I, yeah, that's a question I should ask Chanchi Man because he would know. He's like, he's from 1954, that time period. Right. He'd be able to tell me. But, uh, but anyway, so Gu Sang uh, uh, made the wooden, like the one of the early, I don't know if he made the first. I don't think Gu Sang was really right there at the beginning. But uh, I think there was another guy, Feng Sek or something like that, who kind of made the first dummy or something like that. But Gu Sang eventually picked up the design from Grandmaster Yip Man, started making these things. And then he started to become like the go-to guy because, you know, you there was no you couldn't go on the Internet in those days. There was no martial arts store where you would just buy a wooden dummy. You, you, you know, if you were a student of Yip Man and you wanted a wooden dummy, it was like, oh, go go ask Gu Sang and pay him. He'll make you one kind of thing. Right. So. Right. Gusang never changed the design of the dummy. It's the exact specification, like, you know, and uh, that means the distance between the arms and the leg and the shape of the trunk and everything like that has been exactly the same as it always been. And Gusang made wooden dummies until 1995 uh, when he retired from making dummies. And I think he passed away maybe just very shortly after he retired. So the I acquired one of his 1994 wooden dummies, which would have been one of the last ones he made. And so people who got wooden dummies back in the 80s, it was probably more likely that you got a Gusang dummy. So it's not, it's not the rarest thing in the world, but everyone who has one already is going to hold on to it. And no one sure. is going to get rid of it, right? And the cool thing about this dummy is it's actually the template by which literally all Wing Chun dummies are made from, especially those coming from the Yip Man line. That is the original one. So right. it's got the right dimensions and everything. My good friend Chan Chi Man has a Gusang dummy in his apartment. And nice. so, I, so I knew very well like what the Gusang arms looked like and everything. And um, Sifu Chan told me that Gusang actually even installed the wooden dummy in his apartment like way, way back in the 70s or something like that. So, That's uh, cool. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. And I got to play around on it. The, the arms are, are, are rounded at the end where some newer dummies have like flat polished arms. Uh, they're rounded. The arms are a little bit lighter than what I'm used to. And the leg is the original tree branch, bent tree branch leg, which uh, nowadays when you get a modern dummy, usually the leg is machined into that shape. Right. But in the old days, it used to be a tree branch that was bent. So that meant that all of Gusang's dummies have the same exact trunk, same exact arms, but the legs are different on all of them because it's a different branch. Right, right, so, right. So that means that like it's kind of like an art piece, yet everyone is still unique. So I managed to acquire one of these. I've wanted a Gusang dummy for a very long time. I saw some guys on uh, eBay trying to get rid of one for like five grand because they know what it's worth. 
and uh, I was able to acquire one for a uh, for a very good deal. I'm not going to say how much, but I'll tell you, it wasn't five grand. Right, right, and, right. Uh, my wife wouldn't have let me do that. Like, <laughs> I don't care how much Wing Chun you do. <laughs> you know, first of all, it's also the fifth wooden dummy in my school, so it's right, not like right. we're lacking wooden dummies. But um, because it's kind of uh, I'm not going to say it's an antique. I mean, it's 94, but it's a rare collector's item. We're going to install it tomorrow, which is Saturday at the school. And I'm putting a sign on it, which is like, no one Don't touches touch this thing unless I tell you you can. And I'm, I also put a, a, a little sign on the side, which explains the history of the dummy. So it's going to become like a museum piece inside my school. Right. That only I'm allowed to hit or someone else can if I'm watching them. Right. Right. And right. Right. It's a very sturdy dummy. It's very strong. But because of its rarity, I'm not going to. Sure. Learn. It's not going to be an everyday beater for my students. So i um, super excited about that. I got really geeked out when I was. Are you going to take the, the arms off when you leave? <laughs> I'll take them with me, kind of like you know, like people. Well, take, I mean, like, there, like, there's there's guys that I I know a guy who runs a, a JKD school and he has like three jongs and one of the jongs is a very good jong, mm -hmm. and he and he only he takes the arms out of that one. Wow! wow. When he leaves and and puts them in his desk. That's funny. It's it's like like people who take their their bicycle seat when they when they lock. Right, exactly right. Like that, right. So, yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but, uh, yeah, I'm very, very excited to have it. And uh, By the way, uh, Steve Golden's jong is handmade by Jerry Petit. Oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, Jerry Petit was the jong guy in the Chinatown school. Oh, cool. So he, so Steve had Jerry make his jong. Wow, wow. That's amazing. That's really yeah. amazing. Yeah, so you know, it's like a little piece of history. If you see the the wooden dummy that Grandmaster Yip Man uses uh, in the video, which was done shortly before he passed away, or you look at some of the other wooden dummies from that time period, they literally all look the same. The wooden dummy arms are the same shape and everything, because those are all uh, from at least from what I understand, those were all uh, Gusang dummies, or at least uh, you know m made by him, uh, or, or if they weren't made by him, they were the design of them were copied. So. Uh, yeah, so super, super excited to have that at the school. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, you know the, I'm sure you've seen, I don't know if you made a post about it, the uh, the, the, the old video of uh, Yip Man doing the, the forms and everything. Yes. You know, not long before he passed away. Right, right. Um, now, you made reference to a series of videos that Yip Man shot for... I forget, I forget the gentleman's name. Tang Sung. Tang Sung. Yeah. I don't know why I was going to say Kal-El, but that's Superman. Um, <laughs> Close enough. Okay, so you've seen both sets. Yes. Other than the fact... Okay, so it's a multi-part question. Uh-huh. Um, how many years apart are they? Mm-hmm. And other than the fact that Yip Man was very old and sick, mm -hmm. were the forms different at all? Uh, yeah, so um, so the first question, they were five years apart. So the uh, the footage that was taken shortly before Grandmaster Yip Man passed away that was shot by his sons in his home on uh, on Tong Choi Street in Mong Kok, the 149 Tong Choi Street, just for you geeks out there in case you're wondering, uh, which I, I believe Yip Cheng, his son, actually still lives in that building or that, that very same apartment that that was shot in. And so... Uh, 
That was shot. So Grandmaster Gateman died in the beginning of December 1972. So I believe that that was shot something like within 10 days. So wow. it's like very end of November, something like that, of 1972. The, um, the Tang Sang footage was shot in 67. So it was five years earlier. And Grandmaster mm. Yip Man was not in super great health in those last five years of his life, but he obviously was seriously deteriorated by the time he made that final video. He sure. Was, he, he was a lifelong smoker, um, and uh, he was dying of throat cancer. And right. by, by the time he did that final video, which everyone can see on YouTube, he didn't even have any teeth left in his mouth. And if you see still shots, for you can't tell from the video because the video is really grainy, but there's some still shots from that same day. And you can see that his like chin is completely pushed back because he had like no teeth in his mouth. Right, right, right. And so he was really, really um, kind of out of sorts physically and mentally. And when you see the unedited footage, you see that he, especially when he did the wooden dummy, he had to he take rests, a lot of breaks. Yeah, he rests on his own. And when it comes to the eighth set, he made some mistakes. Like he, you could tell he wasn't 100% clear on like some things. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of speculation because Grandmaster Yip Man didn't always teach the wooden dummy come completely to everybody especially the final sets so you know a lot of people have speculated well he didn't teach the final sets that much it was clear you know maybe he didn't have them as straight in his mind he also did change them from time to time but he was also dying i mean so it's very difficult to say exactly why he would you know right but i'm even talking about like like within chomkyu yes so um, were there any differences because i know i know that so what, what's what's causing the question is this yeah um, the kick in Chomkyu. Uh-huh. The final kick. Right. So there's, and I don't know the names of them. You know uh -huh. me, right? Yes, so yes. one I'm going to call a side kick and the other one I'm going to call a weird looking crescent kick. Uh-huh. Um, there's, they're both authentic. They're both, but like, I was wondering if they were the same in the two videos. So, uh, in, in the, f the first video set, which was shot in 67 by Tang Sang, it's not exactly the same kind of... Uh, it, it's so uh, Grandmaster Yipman did the Sunum Tao, the Chum Q, the wooden dummy, and he does the long pole set in the 1967 footage. So, okay. pretty much everything that he did, well, he didn't do the long pole in that final set that everyone can right. see online, um, but he did Sunum Tao, Chum Q, and wooden dummy. Very interesting that in both times he did not demonstrate the Buji form. Buji, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so even you know for the you conspiracy theory, the Buji form is not in that uh, 1967 footage. So um, that you know that still remains, I suppose, the biggest mystery, right? So um, the Siunam Tao form is more or less the same. Uh, what I can say, one of the main differences between the two sets of videos is Grandmaster Yip Man's performance. In the 1967 series, he just performs it much, much better. The form is much crisper, much cleaner. He, uh, When he does the wooden dummies, he, he doesn't have any breaks or anything like that. Right. He, just, he does it all the way through. Um, the Chumkyu form is more or less the same, but um, his stance work is a little bit tighter. And uh, it just it looks a little bit nicer than... and, and Which also, is to be expected. Yeah. I just... And also I'm Grandmaster, talking about like fundamental differences in yeah. the form. Well, Grandmaster Yip Man made a couple mistakes in the Chumkyu form uh, on that video that everyone has seen. I don't know if you noticed, but he did like four stepping bong sows, which he normally do three. Right. So he had, he had like... He did like an extra one and stuff. And this, of course, 
can all be attributed to, I mean, the, the guy sure. is literally 10 days before his deathbed, right? I think people look into these things and go, ah, you see, on his dying day, he showed that actually there's four steps with the bong so and right, right, right. This is a little bit, uh, this is kind of a little reading into stuff that's not really there. So in the chum cue form from the early footage, he still does the two sets of front kicks, right? So where you have the grab and the turn and the front thrust kick and then the uh -huh. bong cell, and then where you just turn and do the front thrust kick, right? So, and then at the very end in that last part, you have that lone slant kick, the left slant kick, right? Right. Um, everyone, the, de the, the, the bane of everybody's existence, right? So that kick he still does in the same way, the chaetangert, the slant kick, where the knee and the toe is kind of pointing away from you. Right? right, so you lift the knee and then kick out, right? So it's with the heel, but the foot is out a little bit. That he did the same in both of them. Um, the wooden dummy is a lot crisper, especially the eight, the set eight, which has always been the kind of the special set because that's the last set of the wooden dummy, and he doesn't he doesn't have his revisionist errors that he has with the Yip Chun video. Um, the uh, eighth set, so just to give people a little bit of insight, towards the end of Grandmaster Yip Man's life, he had, it seemed that he had re-edited the wooden dummy to 116 movements when he had previously done it in 108. And there are eight different kicking, eight unique kicking methods in the wooden dummy set. And if you, the conspiracy theory is this. When you go up to the seventh set of the wooden dummy, you have only seen three of the eight kicks. So that means that five of the eight kicks are all in that final set, which is another reason why the, the eighth set, the final set of the wooden dummy, has always been kind of the, you know, the holy grail among those who are, you know, searching to learn the whole system because it contains the most number of kicks of any set of the entire wooden dummy form. So, uh, and when Grandmaster Yip Man performs that, he does, he does those eight sets absolutely flawlessly and, um, you know, without any kind of hesitation or anything like that. So, um, the, the footage is much better. Now, Grandmaster Yip Man did that set for Tang Sang. The exact reason, we don't know why. I'm pretty sure, because I know a little bit about Tang Sang. I'm probably the person who knows the most about him because he's a he's a little side obsession of mine. I'm pretty sure that he paid Grandmaster Yip Man a pretty healthy sum to allow him to film that. Grandmaster Yip Man did not like to be filmed or photographed, especially doing advanced stuff. And he even did the long pole. I mean, I've seen the video of the long pole. So when people talk to me about, oh, I do the authentic Yip Man long pole and I take a look at the form and I go, ah... Yeah, well, I'm sure you believe that, but like right. I've seen the poll form. You're not going to tell me anything, right? So um, I'm pretty sure Tang Sang paid the old man a pretty good fee to get that. Now, Yip Man did not want that video footage to come out at all. He wanted that that was solely for Tang Sang's private collection. He told them not to show it openly, not to give it away, not to sell it, not to otherwise exploit it. And Tang Sang did just that. He, he never showed it to anybody. And Tang Sang had one student, Lo Ping Fei, who now lives in France. I asked Lo Ping Fei, hey, did your Sifu Tang Sang ever show you that 1967 footage of Grandmaster Yip Man? And Lo Ping Fei said, what footage? 
So right. that was the proof to me that actually Tang Sang, among all of Yip Man's students, was really the most loyal, not just in word, but in deed. He really right. did not show the video to anybody. And right. when he passed away in either late 1986 or early 1987, he, um, Sifu Kanchbek, the, uh, you know, my Sifu famous student of Grandmaster Long Teng, inherited the video. And so now the original 8mm treasure of the Yip Man system is sitting, you know, in some safe deposit box in Kiel, Germany or something like that right now. So, um, and it's been since digitized, which is how I was able to see it. Um, and, uh, you know, Grandmaster Ling Ting showed the footage twice. The first time he did it by accident because he showed it to me like once by accident. He didn't mean to show it to me, but he it was playing on his screen and he couldn't get the window to shut. And it just <laughs> kept going and I'm just watching this and going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'll show you some other time. So you did. And then it finally clicked it off, but I had already seen like the chum cue and the wooden dummy. Right, right, right. And then a few years later, uh, when I learned the long pole, he showed the long pole one, and then I ha and then he showed the other parts of the footage as well. So, um, yeah, so that was really fantastic. That was really uh, like an amazing thing for me to be able to see that. And none of Grandmaster Yip Man's students in Hong Kong have ever even seen it, and they haven't. Yeah, most of them didn't even know that it existed. So um, I, I count myself really lucky that I've been able yeah, to actually watch something that even Grandmaster Yip Man students didn't even know existed. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I mean, not that I'm ever, I'm, I'm probably never going to see the long pole footage, but that's one of the few things that I would definitely geek out about. Right. I, I, I have a, a fascination for the long pole form. Yes, yes. I, I you know, um, I do the form as it was taught to me. I'm not looking to learn other forms. I don't know if my form is the most authentic or the best or the worst. Mm -hmm. I really don't care. But I do like the history of it. I like, I don't know, I just, something about the long pole form that really, I, I just think is cool, you know? It's a very I look elegant at the weapon, for sure. It is, and I kind of look at the form as a microcosm of the whole system. Yes. And, and that's what I like. I, that's, what, that's what, when that dawned on me, when when I when I was doing the form and I was learning the form, I'm like, wow, it's you know, it really acts like like a, in in my mind the microcosm system. And what I mean by that is how I was taught the forms, as a general idea, and I've said this before on the podcast, is in in the first form like you'll learn the center line, in the second form you learn to move the center line with structure, and in the third form you recover. You recover your center line, recover structure, things to that effect. It's just an, a, a general idea of the of the three forms, and like when you when you do the pole, it starts off with the thrusts, so you're learning the center line, right? And then you are moving the center line, and then the last part, as we do it, is the recovery of of, of center. And I just said, wow, like, and I, and I just thought of it like, as this really cool little microcosm of the whole system, yeah, all wrapped up into that short little form. Right. And I just find it amazing. I love the long pole form. Yeah, long pole, it's also a little bit of a fascination of mine. I think it's one of the parts of the system that doesn't get practiced enough, one partially because not a lot of people know it. And even some people who learned it, they don't really practice it, so they don't do it well. 
And then, of course, you always get the people who say, like, oh, well, I'm not going to be walking around with a long pole, so why should I learn it? And I go, like, right. I mean, well, just walk around with a gun. Why do you need to study Kung Fu for 20 years if that's really right. – it's, exactly I mean, right. it's kind of a very stupid argument to have anyway, right? So, um, well, the thing is um, – Sifu Langting made a couple little signature modifications to the long pole form, but it's more or less the same one. But I remember very vividly exactly how Grandmaster Yip Man did it. So when I see you in a couple weeks, I can show you exactly what his long pole form looked like because I, I, I the choreography is very simple. It's very short, very simple, and I can show you. I can show you exactly I, what he did. I am very excited about this. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. And it's also funny that you say that, like, you know, the, the just from your description of long pole form, you say about, you know, like, first you go on, on the straight lines, like the center line, and then you kind of, you move it, go side to side. I mean, from, I, I have not really seen the Moyat long pole form, but from what I hear, that, that sounds pretty much like what we're talking about. And then at the end, the recovery, so I'm assuming you mean some kind of sweep and circular motion or whatever, is at the end of the form. And that is basically what it is. Now, I don't think if that's in there... that. It, I think it's a coincidence that there's some kind of parallel to the Wing Chun hand forms because the Lokdim Bunguan is an imported item into our system. It, right. It, and, and so I have, through my good friend Mak Chi Kong, who you met, Mak Sifu. Yeah, God, I um, love that guy. He's amazing. He, he's fucking he's, awesome, man. He's awesome. He showed me the um, the old Lokdim Bunguan that Lam Sai Wing practiced, which is Lokdim Bunguan before it entered in the Wing Chun system. It, it's it, the Lokdim Bunguan, and there are many different versions of it, but they're all very, very similar. And when Wing Chun got its hands on it, Wing Chun modified it to kind of go in line with certain of our fist fighting techniques. That means that anybody who claims that like our long pole is the most authentic, and I don't mean like their specific line, I mean Wing Chun long pole, right. doesn't actually know the history because once the long pole came to Wing Chun, Wing Chun people modified it to for it to be more compatible with our fist fighting ideas like Qi Guan and Pun Guan and all these ideas that are from our fist fighting did not exist in Lokdim Bunguan before it came into our style. That's our take on the Lokdim Bunguan. It is right. not the Lokdim Bunguan as it was before. And the Lokdim Bunguan, before it came into our system, still had that structure you talk about, going straight, you know, moving the line, and then at the end some kind of recovery and sweeps and circular motions or whatever. So it always had that. Maybe there is something to be said that maybe that is a deeper structure in martial arts inherently and maybe not even specifically Wing Chun. And that was a universal truth that was kind of, um, you know, strewn among various systems and such. Right, sure, of sure. At least Southern martial arts or whatever. But that's a that's. Actually, it's funny that you even said that. Now it's got me thinking. So now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna be like in a wormhole all night, like looking up stuff online and comparing things. Like, what is the structure of this form and this form? And because if you just if you look at because again, you know, if you just look at the way where I'm coming from, if 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 you take the first form, Sunim Tao, and you say its primary purpose is, I mean, many purposes, but centerline structure. Teaching you centerline structure. There's no, there's no footwork. There's no. We're going to teach centerline structure. Yes. Second form. We're going to teach you how to have centerline structure and move. Right. You're going to learn to move while retaining your centerline and structure. And the third form. What to do when things go wrong. If you lose centerline, you lose structure. How to regain it. Right. 
And now, if you then if you look at the form, the the look the Mungwan form, how we do it, I shouldn't say that. How I learned it. If you start off with, we do like a thrust, basically three thrusts. Then you come off to a Tan Kwan yeah. thrust. I'm not gonna go through the whole form, but you know, you know, you know, you know exactly what I'm gonna yes, do. Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> and then there's a recovery, and I was just it like I it kind of clicked in my head is it's it's teaching you the three thrusts. Are, this is your center. Then we're gonna learn to move the center, and then we're gonna learn to recover the center. And I'm like, wow! Like I know that the the, the idea of the long pole was adopted into Wing Chun. But when it when it came into Wing Chun, <coughs> excuse me, it, it obviously in my mind must have been tweaked to fit in with our system. Yes, for sure. And to and and I and I looked at it like in my head I was like, this can't be an accident that it runs through the same kind of progression of center and structure that the empty hand forms do. Right. But it might be an accident. <laughs> we don't know yet. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Now I'm gonna definitely be going down a wormhole and figuring out if this is true or not. <laughs> but I mean, it's possible. But I. I, I mean, it, it's also. I think it could be a general progression in martial arts from starting from the simple, the straight line, to going into the more complex. So that also is kind of a natural progression of of, of showing stuff anyway, right? The simple being the straight line and then gradually moving that and then dealing with special situations, going from the broad to the specific, right? So it could be, even be something like that, but I don't know. That That's a... And you, you had sent me a long time ago, you sent me a video of a gentleman, I think it was like a black and white movie. Yes. Of a guy working with a long pole. Right. And it was very elaborate, very flowery yes. and then at one point it looked like the Wing Chun the long pole form that I know yes yeah yeah exactly and that is the Lok Tim Bun Guan uh, the old style Lok Tim Bun Guan before it got fettered by Wing Chun hands and so my, my student Craig Savino whom I, I'm sure you've met before he uh, he sent that video to me and he's like uh, he sent it to me like about four or five years ago and that sent me on another like just rabbit hole of like chasing right because I saw that video, and, and it's from an old Kwanta King movie. Kwanta King played Wong Fei Hung back in the day, and I think that movie's from the 1940s, right? So he's doing this long pole form, and like about halfway, like about a minute something into the form, he, which is also funny for Wing Chun people, just think about how long a long pole form is at a minute right. something into the form. Right? He switches to the left lead, and then like the following twenty movements or so are right are like out of the right out of the Lokdim Bunguan playbook, and then he goes back to a right lead and goes back to doing like very traditional, um, you know, Bakwak one, which is like a very normal Southern Shaolin form, right? So I saw that, and I go like. Did he just do our long pole form in the middle of this like longer, more elaborate form? And it drove me nuts because I started to my first instinct was, oh, my God, did we copy like just one portion of some long pole form? But we don't even have like the whole thing. How and awesome. So, so I go to my friend, um, uh, uh, or he's generally known as Takwa Eng, and he's a um, 
He's a uh, um, he learned from Wai Hong back in the day in New York. He's like a Fu Jiao Pai guy, Black Tiger, Hong Kun expert. He's got a school down in Chinatown. And so uh, I went down to his school and I was like, you know, Msivu, uh, I have a question for you. Do you know this form called Mlong Pakwa Guan, which is like the fifth son, eight trigram pole form? And he says, yes. And I go, uh, do you know, like, in the middle of that form, is there, like, the Lok Tim Boon Guan from Wing Chun? And he goes, yes, everyone knows that. Lam Sai Wing put the Lok Tim Boon Guan in the middle of that form. That was his invention. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, everyone knows that. <laughs> and I was like, well, apparently I didn't know that. I mean, I guess in the Hong Kun world they knew that. But Wing, sure. Wing Chun people think all of their shit is original. and like Right, of really course, like right. Kung Fu styles sometimes even have the same long pole form we have, right? So uh, I later found out that Lam Sai Wing learned that more elaborate form, and one of his uncles apparently knew the Lok Tim Bun Guan, and Lam Sai Wing thought Lok Tim Bun Guan was so brilliant um, because it's a very compact and... Uh, um, exactly! It's, it is... fighting, right? He decided to literally wedge that in the middle of this longer form so that it would stay preserved, because maybe if he kept it as a separate form, it was too short and people would forget it. So he put right. it in this like longer form. But that's only for students who learned in the Lam Sai Wing line of, of Hong Kun. So, and uh, my good friend, Mak Chi Kong, he's in that line. So that's why I asked him to specifically teach me that part. Right. There are some minor variations. And when he showed me how they apply it, that was really interesting to contrast how the old Lok Tim Bun Guan was applied and how the Wing Chun take on it is because there's some things that are similar and some of the differences are actually quite remarkable, but it helped my understanding of long pole like really well. Okay, so we definitely have to talk about this at my son's wedding. Yes, for sure. Because there's something I want to ask you about. Okay. When it's just me and you. Okay, so not for our listeners. <laughs> and, and not for anybody else that's at the wedding. Okay. It's going to be just me and you. Got it. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait because it, it's going to be nothing in your eyes. You may look at me and go, no, that's stupid, but <laughs> which is it. fine. I doubt it. No, which is fine, but I just, I, I, I oh, God, I'm excited about this. Awesome. And, and another thing, uh, a mutual friend of ours posted a, a cool video on Facebook the other day. Um, I mean, you can't tell I'm going by the title of the video. That is accurate, but the gentleman who played Han in Enter the Dragon, yes, him doing a really cool sword work. Oh, like a, was it a broadsword form? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had Se never seen that before. That was really cool. Yeah, that that actor, uh, his name was Sekin, and uh, who played Han from from Enter the Dragon. That's how most Western audiences know him. Yeah, he, he usually played the bad guy in a lot of those old kung fu movies with Wong Fei Hung, like the one I just we just talked about with the long pole before. And the funny thing is that um, that actor in real life was an absolute sweetheart, but he always played a bad guy. And so he, he that he got kind of typecast as villain roles. And sure. The, the interesting thing about him being the villain for Enter the Dragon is that Bruce Lee would have grown up watching those old Wong Fei Hong serials, uh, meaning that he grew up watching Shekin as the bad guy, and then ends up being in a movie with him. So Bruce Lee would have one hundred percent known who Shekin was f since his childhood. Right, so right, him, right. It's like the new young actor working with the old established one. You know what I mean? Right, and, sure. And but ironically, you know, Shekin was kind of 
uh, he was a bit advanced in age when he did enter the dragon, right? And Bruce Lee ends up dying like that same year he made that movie, and Second died in two thousand nine. Wow! Wow! Which is, which is like unbelievable, right? And really, until the end, Sekin was still in pretty good health. I mean, he was in a wheelchair, I think, for the last few years of his life, but his mind was very clear. Sekin sure. was also a very good friend of uh, my Sikong Leung Teng, and uh, you know, he would be do some TV appearances. But he was a legit kung fu guy. He wasn't just an actor. He right. He learned at the Jingwu Academy in Hong Kong, and I believe that he. Um, specialized in eagle claw, but he would have also known like the gen- general Jingwu forms, and he also, I believe, knew some Choile Fat as well. So he was like a legit kung fu master, and 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 actually knew real styles. He wasn't just, you know, like an opera actor who did martial art films. He was totally legit, and and Bruce Lee would have one hundred percent. Um, been super respectful to Sekin on the set of Enter the Dragon because mm. Bruce, for all his like modernity and stuff, but he, but Bruce knew like you know Sekin is the the old guard. And he would have been sure, right, 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 to him. And, and also they they doubled Sekin a lot because you know he had to take some hard falls when he was fighting Bruce, and Bruce yeah. didn't want Sekin to do any of that stuff. So they had a stunt double that Bruce would kick around, and it wouldn't wasn't the old man ever like right, Bruce right, never right. hit the old man at all. Well, the, the and the the worst shot of the whole movie has to be when he does the the, the hook kick to second uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty I don't know if you ever saw the movie Prodigal Son which is a very famous Wing Chun movie um and the one of the main actors is an old actor named Lam Ching Ying and Lam Ching Ying was the stuntman for Han and there are some scenes where you can actually see Lam Ching Ying's face and you can see it's a much younger actor. Anytime Bruce was like doing like a running sidekick or just like right, right, right. Or, or doing like a sweep kick and making him fall, it was always Lam Ching Ying falling down on there. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, that was that, that was cool that you saw that. Yeah, there are a few uh, demos of Sekin online and some interviews with him. And Yeah, I had never seen that before. And I was like, wow, this is, I actually went back and watched it twice. I was like, this is pretty cool. Sekin also did a comedy in the mid-70s, a few years after Enter the Dragon, called uh, Private Eyes where he pay, he played a bank robber and it's really funny because it's a comedy and he's like you're used to him as like the ominous like right know, sure Han or whatever and he like he's this really funny villain in this uh hoy brothers comedy from 1975 called private eyes if you guys have a chance to see it it's an old Cantonese cool. comedy but super super funny hey you know i wanted to i haven't taught you cantonese in a minute Okay, lay, lay it on me. So um, this is actually uh, the one I'm going to teach you today is a uh, uh, it's a wisdom we use in Wing Chun, especially for uh, for the Buji level stuff, and it's a little bit different from what some of the other Kung Fu people use. They they um, I'll explain that in a moment. And this is called use vertical to defeat horizontal, and use horizontal to defeat vertical. All right, so essentially to use an opposing tactic, right? So um, this has a lot to do with Buji because Buji, especially because uh, you sweep under the arm, Buji is a lot more horizontal, whereas like Sunum Town Chumkyu is a lot more vertical, sagittal plane, and mm-hmm. Buji cuts a lot horizontally, so that's part of it. Why Buji can cut through Sunum Town Chumkyu? Sunum Town Chumkyu is very sagittal plane, vertical, and Buji can cut through it horizontally, which is kind of the advantage. So um, this one will be a fun one. So okay. it's called Yi Jik Paul Wang. Yi Wang Paul Jik. 
give me a fucking break. Yeah, so, say it one more time. So it's ye. So ye. Sick. Like J I K. Sick. Sick is straight. Like a. Right, okay, the Jik Chung. Jik Chung Choi, right? Like the Jik Kendo right. people usually use that. So Yi Tik. Yi is like to use. Tik is straight. Paw. Paw P O. Yi Jik Paw. Paw means to like, uh, to destroy or to break. And, uh, and Wang. Wang is, uh, horizontal, sideways. Yi Jik Paw Wang. Yeah, so it's use straight to break, uh, horizontal. And then you just flip the terms for the second half, which is yi wang po jik. Yi wang po jik. Po jik. Yeah, there you go. So this is, this is to use vertical to defeat horizontal, use horizontal to defeat vertical. Yi jik po wang. Yi wang po jik. Hey, not bad, man. There you go. That's just <laughs> enough Cantonese. To get uh, a, a waiter properly confused in a Chinese restaurant. There you go. Um, I just want to know what you eat. I don't need to know about breaking vertical and horizontal. I still don't know what it means when you tap on the table for tea. I'm... <laughs> that is. You seriously don't know what that means? No. Either means you want more or don't want more. No, no, no. Actually, it doesn't mean that at all. It's a, it's a way of saying thank you. Right, okay. So, when, yeah, when someone pours a tea for you and you tap the table, you're not saying, like, oh, that's good. You're actually saying thank you. Right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's kind of kind of an old, old way for that. Um, well, I mean, when I went to my first Moyot party, mm-hmm. and, like, like I, we get down, we sit down at the table, and I'm, I'm the new guy. So I got to pour the tea. Of course. And... All of a sudden, Tom turns around to me and says, oh, I guess I should have taught you some of these traditions. Because <laughs> so I'm like, why is everybody tapping on the fucking table? I'm like, what's this about, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. And it's always good when they tell you those things while you start doing it, right? Well, I swear, I got a promotion because of this. Uh-huh. So what happened was, we were sitting at this table, and there was only like two or three like other people at the table, so they combined two tables. So... We, we go to we go to the other table and up to that point I was like I forget, I was like I was on the Jong. I was on the I was oh no, I was on Buji. And um I was on Buji. So in, in Moyang Wing Chun, you know, it goes the three empty hand forms, then it goes Jong, right? Mm-hmm. So I was on Buji. And we go to the second table and there was a, a guy at the table and I guess he wanted to know like so he goes, well, he goes, I think I'm the youngest guy here. He goes, um, I guess I'll be pouring a tea. So he says to me, like, oh, what level are you? So before I could answer, Tom says, what level are you? He says, I'm Buji. He goes, oh, Sean's on the Jong. We had not even touched the Jong yet. <laughs> <laughs> it was just to get you out of tea duty or what? <laughs> get, get me out of tea duty. <laughs> That's so great. That's pretty funny. Uh, hey, before we uh, before we cut out of here, I just want to do some shameless promotion here, but also for some friends of ours. Um, okay. On June first of this year, June first, uh, two thousand nineteen, our good friend uh, Jim Rosalando is doing his uh, 
Boston workshop again where oh, cool. different seafoods come in. Um, I uh, uh, I did two of those. I did the one last year, and then I did the one like uh, the not the year before, but the year before that. Also, your students have gone out to to those as well. Um, they enjoy so, them. Yeah, so this is in Boston. It's uh, June 1st, 2019. I'm not doing it this year because I'm actually too busy. It was kind of crazy, the back and forth. I just I, I literally can't commit to it. Um, but they got uh, Sifu Mark Phillips uh, from, oh, from cool. the UK. He was really fantastic. Met him. Really great guys. Those black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Very practical-minded mm-hmm. Wing Chun guys. So Mark Phillips is really great. Um, of course, Jim Rosalando will be doing his Pin Sun Wing Chun. And then also Phil Romero, who is a student of the uh, late Hawkins Chung, uh, will be there as well. If you guys are interested in that, uh, look up Jim Rosalando on Facebook or look up his Pin Sun Wing Chun Boston group. So it's in Boston. June 1st, uh, 2019. It's a really fantastic event. You have three different lineages teaching and everyone who's there, like nobody there has an attitude and no one's trying to do it. Everyone's there learning stuff. The different Sifus teach and everyone has a really good time and uh, highly recommended. Uh, I've taught it a few times and I think it's really great. So if you guys are interested in that, uh, look up Jim Rosalando. And another bit of news is that uh, this year in July, I'm leading another tour to Hong Kong. And normally I do this tour just with my own students, but this year we're actually opening it, opening it to the public. So uh, including people like anybody who's a Wing Chun enthusiast, if you want to come to Hong Kong and you want to get the best tour guide, which is me, the Kung Fu genius, to show you Hong Kong for the first time, uh, we have actually organized it as a formal trip. Uh, the exact dates are coming out very shortly. I'm going to have a link for it on my website and you guys can register. You guys can uh, come with us on a tour. I'm going to give a tour of all the Wing Chun spots and, and it's it's a real tour. I'm going to tell you like why this. I No one knows the history of these things like me. I'll take you to spots where that were in Enter the Dragon. I'll take Wing Chun Athletic Association, Grandmaster Yip Man's Grey, Bruce Lee exhibits, Yip Man stuff, Kung Fu, whatever. It, it's going to be like really, really intense. And uh, that's one package. There's another package if you guys want to do that and also train with me while you're in Hong Kong. That's the second package. And uh, all of this stuff will be hitting real soon. But that's in July of 2019. If you guys want to come to Hong Kong, more than happy to have you guys come with me. And uh, more on that to come as well. You got to get John Turnbull to go with you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anybody (laughs) who... And here's the thing. If you've been to Hong Kong before... You haven't been to Hong Kong until you've been there with me. I've taken people to Hong Kong who've been there before, like uh, Antonio, my, my student, right, you know, yeah. uh, who's a famous, famous jazz musician. And he was like, <laughs> I love that dude. He's like, Sifu, I've been to Hong Kong a few times, but like the first time I went to Hong Kong was with you. So, uh, yeah. And, I, I'm not kidding. We should talk to John Turnbull. He would, he, he would, to you in Hong Kong would be. That would be pretty seriously cool. For sure, for sure. Anybody who wants to come, regardless of Wing Chun lineage, and obviously if you guys are WT people out there and you want to come and, you know, you're going to get the best front row seat to Hong Kong with me. But if you guys are from any other lineage and you want to come for the tour or do the training and the tour, whatever you want, uh, more information to come. We'll put that on the website. We'll talk about that more on the next podcast. All right, good, man. Well, this is a lot of fun, brother. All right, man. Uh, yeah, looking forward to doing the next show and seeing you in a couple of weeks for your son's wedding. Yep, sounds great. All right, boss. Take care, man. Be good, be good man. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. 
Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!